Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is John Sherman, the Intelligence Community's Chief Information Officer. John, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been quite a while since I've had the Intelligence Community CIO on the program, so it's great to have you guys back on. Even just as important is you're new to the position. It's, it's been a, a few months. So let's talk about the transition to the ICCIO. You were at the CIA. So talk about the transition and talk about your background. Sure. I was actually started on a very somber date. I was sworn in on September 11th very key date for the IC in our country and really brings home why we have an ICCIO to bring our technology and data and our entire collaboration together. So about nine months in the job now, um, my previous job before this was at the CIA Open Source Enterprise, formerly the Open Source Center, where I dealt with a lot of technology issues there, um, initially with the unclassified side, but more and more working with iSight. Uh, the IC's Information Technology Enterprise, our modernization effort that's been underway since 2013. I primarily uh, initially dealt with low-side cloud issues, but I also had an opportunity to be on what was called the iSight Mission Users Group, leveraging the high-side classified technologies, and I became more and more conversant on what we were doing with iSight then. Previously in my career, I had served as an imagery analyst at NGA. I had served as an all-source analyst on the National Intelligence Council and a manager at different levels at NGA. And in many areas, I did deal with a lot of technology, overhead satellite collection systems and so on. But it was at open source where I really leaned into the eyesight realm, which I think postured me for this position. You bring up the mission users group, the MUG. I yes. love that acronym. Yep. I remember when it came out a few yep. years ago. That must have really put you into a really good space of understanding, not just from the CIA's perspective, which you came from, or even NGA, but the broader one. And that must be paying big dividends today as a CIO of the IC community. It does. I have probably a different background than a lot of CIOs you have on the show here and even my predecessors who I respect immensely in the ICCIO position. I do come from more of a mission background as an analyst, a collector, uh, whether it's overhead geoint or other types of intelligence, and understanding how the mission needs to be able to use what we're building on the IT and data side. So that's been immensely useful. The MUG, in addition to understanding how to leverage these very impressive eyesight capabilities that we've brought to bear, also understanding how the warfighter is going to use it, how the intelligence officer is going to use it, all the way up from, you know, how we support policymakers to how we support folks downrange in Afghanistan. Having the knowledge of how the mission works has been critical. So I think at this time, this place, uh, as we are moving to this phase of eyesight, my mission background has helped me quite a bit. We'll get to eyesight. We're going to talk quite a bit sure. about that before we go down that path. Talk a little bit about what the transition has been like, how steep was the learning curve, and what were some of the areas that you, you did when you first got here to kind of overcome it? It is with any senior job like this, it was a steep learning curve coming from the mission side to the actual chief information officer role here. So I've had a great deputy for the last nine months, uh, Sally Holcomb of the National Security Agency, who's actually moving on to an overseas position, but she was critical having been a basically a plank holder on the eyesight effort. I work with an outstanding group of CIOs across the IC interagency who have been great partners in this. So that's helped me learn this, and we have a great staff within the IC CIO office that I oversee within ODNI. I'll tell you, though, Jason, one of the things that did create some challenges early on was we were building upon some very impressive capabilities that our predecessors brought to bear with the cloud technologies and so on, but we had to make some changes. 
one that you may have heard about and your listeners may have heard about was with our desktop environment, where when it was launched in 2013, was a noble, well-thought effort to bring the IC to a common desktop. But as we got here to 2018 and really looked at the implementation, we learned that the integration of kind of a one-size-fits-all solution to all 17 agencies was not going to be feasible. So my first several months on the job last fall and into this spring was working with the IC, working with industry, working with our overseers, get to a point where we had to move away from this common desktop to more of a reference architecture federated model. And that's taught us some lessons here that when iSight started, it really was a do in common what is commonly done efficiencies effort. And we still strive for efficiencies, but it really is about mission outcomes and not trying to homogenize things to the 17 agencies who have very unique and independent missions. And so we're not going to let the pendulum go back to complete everybody doing what they want to do, but we have to be able to kind of keep that pendulum in the middle with consistency, with managed federation where we can make it work. So that was probably the most difficult thing coming in. Hard discussions, but needed discussions as we proceeded. There's a lot to talk about in that change in the desktop, but before I do that, because I definitely want to go down that path, When you were meeting with ICCIOs and and you're having these discussions, is that what they brought up to you that, hey, we love this concept of eyesight, but we need to tweak it. We need to make a turn here because it's just not working. And and from your perspective at the CIA, again, Mission Users Group, the MUG, did you know that coming in or did that come to you as a maybe I'll use the word surprise, but maybe there's a better word? I had indications as I was waiting for my appointment uh, to be made by the White House as I was getting ready for the job that this was an issue with the desktop, but I didn't really realize it fully till I got into the job and several of the IC components really kind of, as we would say in the military, popped a flare on this and said, you know, this is not going to work. And and I appreciated their courage to stand up and do that. And it took, uh, I needed to do the same to be able to talk to my bosses, PDD and I, Gordon, the other deputies, and ensure that they were aware of the dynamics here. And it took courage on their part to say, you know what, this isn't working. So to your question that I think we had a canary in the coal mine issue here, and we needed, I think once we all kind of realized the magnitude of the difficulties here and the need to re-vector, and it was once you kind of realize the problem, the next step is then, you have to socialize it. We worked closely with our congressional overseers to, to ensure they had the full story and then to make the hard break and then go to a reference architecture, which I'm sure you and your listeners are aware of. This is a walk and chew gum kind of thing here to be able to build to a federated approach. So I didn't fully realize it till I got in the job, but I tell you, it didn't take long. And once I got in there, this took up the first number of months in, in the role. And now that we're Moving to this next phase, Jason, it's been centrally mid-spring. Now we're able to stretch our legs and get on to some other modernization things. But this was a big turning of the ship that we needed to do to get to where we are now. What was the problem with the desktop? What stood out to you when those other ICCIOs came to you? What did they say, hey, this is why it's not working? A lot of it had to do with integration challenges into their baseline is the simplest way I can say it in terms of what it would do to some of their security fabrics and how it would have to affect other second and third order systems here that again when we were designing this in a very great idea early on but the implementation was getting exponentially more complicated for the agencies to where it would actually cost more money in some cases we would lose some of the efficiency with that or there would be a degradation of effectiveness 
I can tell you this, though. We are still absolutely committed to the goals of what the common desktop. There were three, interoperability among the agencies, uh, increased security, and then mobility. And when I mean mobility, I don't mean walking around with it. I mean being able to go to another agency and log on uh, to your desktop. We're still committed to that. So we haven't abandoned those goals, and indeed we are still committed to get to the same outcomes by 2020 or so, which we would have with the desktop rollout. And I know there's every agency is a little different. You you can't speak for every single one of them. But just so I put a finer yeah. point on this, so if that desktop, as you first envisioned, would have been in, in, installed, what would have happened is a you know application within NSA, as you said, the second third order would not have been able to integrate easily with that desktop, or vice versa, the desktop would have caused such challenges with those other mission critical apps that they would have been less effective or there would have been a bigger problem? I mean, I know I'm trying to simplify it here. Yeah, and I think everything you said is accurate. And another approach, so yes to everything you just said. And in addition, a little bit different philosophical approach here. We were kind of going at this with a build the whole thing rather than the philosophy that we should be always pursuing, don't build that which you can buy. Really leveraging the best individual capabilities industry that are going to move faster and better than we ever can in the government. We were kind of building a a front-to-back kind of desktop here and probably weren't doing the best we could to leverage some of the best-in-breed technologies out there. So that was another philosophical aha we had when we stepped above the trees and saw where we were on this. And now going forward, I know we're going to dig deeper into some other parts of ISIP, but let's go down this path still around the desktop. You said a federated model, a reference architecture. So with a, explain what that means. So that would mean the, for lack of a better term, minimum set of standards to which all the 17 agencies need to deploy their solution to be able to do the interoperability, security, and mobility we just spoke about. It is a little bit different way of doing business with iSight, and indeed within my shop in the ICCIO office, uh, we've actually stood up a new division called Architecture and Integration and uh, brought an officer over from NGA with whom I've worked who has a lot of architectural experience to do this reference architecture. But the key, Jason, is in a very collaborative, transparent way with all the agency stakeholders. So the left and right limits we build for or designate, for lack of a better term, uh, to ensure that we don't do something in a, in a year or two that would prohibit or inhibit us from doing things like bringing in certain solutions that the agencies may want to bring in or dealing with allies or something like that that, that, could, uh, that we would box ourselves in from. So this is a very deliberate, intentional uh, architectural exercise. One of the things in uh, June, there's a offsite that we're hosting, a little inside baseball here, to bring the agencies together to really, you know, picture butcher paper up on the wall and whiteboards to make sure that we take those lessons of DTE and that we don't do something in a year or two from now that we say, darn, we, we have to back it back out. So we definitely learn lessons from this. And that's probably one of the biggest things. I could compliment my predecessors. You know, they started this, and even though, yes, we got down a path, we sure learned from this, and we're applying it to other areas as well. A lot of times when people hear architecture, the eyes glaze over, they start going, oh, no, it's shelfware, it's wire diagrams. And I understand that bringing in the stakeholders is a huge plus. If if you tried to do this on your own, you would never be successful. But how do you still avoid that look of when, when you talk architecture, people go, okay, thanks. 
So that's a key point. And, and my uh, background, as we talked about, is not in architecture. This is where you have to, this is where the soft skills, the, the interpersonal skills come into play, where this is, uh, as a former boss of mine at uh, CIA used to say, you got to get some grass stains on your uniform here, figuratively speaking. Then you got to get in there, have the hard discussions with the agencies. And that is probably, this, this is one thing I want to touch on too, where we're at on eyesight. The upshot of this, we're able to have hard discussions now. It's no more kind of sweeping it under the rug or uh, let's just kind of continue down the proverbial road to Abilene, the Abilene paradox that I think a lot of people are familiar with. By God, before we get in that station wagon and head to Abilene, let's let's have a talk about this. And that's exactly what we're doing because this is less about architectural, you know, geeked out cloud charts as it is making sure when I look at the CIOs, at the CIO councils I chair, that they're nodding up and down, and they've got their subject matter experts sitting behind them saying, we at agency fill in the blank, we can live with this, and we can do it, and we're ready to proceed. That's the difference on this, that it's, again, not a, here's a homogenized, unitary solution, make it work. That's the difference. I think that is so important to, to have those, not just the CIOs, but the people behind them nodding their heads, yeah. too. John, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump more into eyesight. My guest is John Sherman the Intelligence Community's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is John Sherman, the Intelligence Community's Chief Information Officer. Now, John, before break, you, you made a little bit of news on the show. We always appreciate that, the next steps for the desktop part of EyeSight and great explanation about why the direction you're going in. I think it, it helps people understand what your next path is. But let's talk about some other pieces of EyeSight. There's cloud, which is huge, and then there's some other infrastructure work that's being done. So let's just start with cloud. Sure. What's the latest with cloud? And this remains critical to where we are in EyeSight. So a few things on that. As most of your listeners know, since 2013, Amazon Web Services, AWS, have very ably provided our commercial cloud services, or C2S, as it's often called, for our elastic cloud compute capabilities. So now five years into this with them, it's been a very capable uh, set of systems they brought to bear to help our IC mission. And indeed, uh, where it's been uh, on the top secret side, you've heard a lot about just recently, we also launched Secret C2S that NGA uh, is helping to honcho that up under CIA's contractual relationship with AWS. Of course, on the secret fabric will help in a number of areas with our on our uh, military partnerships and so on there. So with, and also we've had uh, unclassified work. This harkens back to my open source enterprise days with what a AWS has brought to bear. So we're very pleased there. Additionally, uh, since iSight started, we've had the intelligence community GovCloud, IC GovCloud effort under NSA's auspices, which is, run by NSA, and that is really our big data analytics engine. Um, really strong horsepower there to really go through massive amounts of data, do data correlation to handle that part of our mission here. Now, as we continue to expand the aperture, as we bring in new industry partners and so on, as been reported in the press back in May, uh, we signed a basic ordering agreement through Dell to uh, update our access to Microsoft products and services, primarily initially for Office 365, but through their software as a service model, uh, that will run on Azure. And so through this BOA and the relationship with uh, through Dell to the Microsoft product and services, 
in the future, we may be able to leverage parts of Azure. And I would note that this is complementary to the broader ecosystem I just described with what AWS brings to the fight very capably with what we have with GovCloud, and then now what we're working with Dell to Microsoft products and services and and what's going on with Azure. And the other thing I'll mention, too, uh, one of the things I've got clear guidance on, we're always going to be looking for new technologies, new industry capabilities on cloud computing and so on. And we'll talk about this here in a minute, but in terms of future things, one of the priorities we have within the IC is to move to artificial intelligence and machine learning. And this this cloud computing foundation is, is absolutely critical to getting us there. I saw the news around the Microsoft move. Maybe talk a little bit about the thinking behind that. Yeah. Did you have requests from the IC community that said, yeah. hey, this AWS thing is nice, yeah. but... Talk a little bit where, where, why you guys went down that path. Yeah, absolutely. I want to underscore AWS maintains our elastic cloud compute capability for the IC via the C2S contract, and we're very pleased with what they've done. Microsoft, as an emerging partner in the software-as-a-service model and what they bring with Azure, the thinking was Office 365 we need in the community here. And after recent Windows iterations here, we were under the impression that there were not going to be any more just kind of offerings as they used to do that would have to ride on Azure. You mean, you mean in the disk that they're going to send yeah, you? Exactly, the, yeah, exactly. The three and a half floppy or yeah. the, the five and a quarter floppy? Yeah, whichever one exactly. it would be, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with what they're doing in Redmond to advance that. So we would have access to Azure to be able to, for some types of cognitive services and so on, but uh, this is, again, complementary to what our broader arrows in our quiver, with a very big arrow being what uh, we have with C2S there. But we are excited about what Microsoft product and services we can leverage. And Office 365, a real kind of coin-of-the-realm capability that all 17 agencies need, and this was kind of almost a no-brainer for us to have to go to this, leverage it in this way, and to have a software-as-a-service capability like this. Does this tag back to the desktop conversation from earlier in the program mm-hmm. as well? Because as you've heard people say, hey, we, we need word yeah. processing, we need yeah. email, talk a little Absolutely. bit Absolutely. And so that was part of the uh, thinking initially, and especially as we move to this don't build that which you can buy. Now, as we move out with this federated architecture, and I'm not going to kind of get ahead of the homework on this. One thing we are going to be looking at is one of the solutions could be Office 365 as part of the back end. So all this made sense to make sure we're able to leverage that, which will, by extension, run on Azure on a very capable platform there to help us as we advance. But what I don't want to do yet is get into solution space yet until we get the architecture right, because that's what got us into a little bit of a fix before. Fair enough, and probably (laughs) one of those lessons learned we're going to talk about. Cloud more broadly, you talked about the the C2S cloud. You talked about the the NSA Intel Gov cloud. What are you seeing from that? How are you guys using that? Is it you talked about big data yeah. over at NSA for the Amazon cloud. How are you guys using that? So the Elastic Cloud Compute for the Amazon side, you know, we're moving more and more workloads there. And the community, I would, I from my optic in nine months, is becoming much more conversant on how to leverage these capabilities. What makes sense for Elastic Cloud Compute for things that are spiky and, and, and fit that cost model and leverage the suite of capabilities Amazon has for us on the different security fabrics? 
as compared to what the icy gulf cloud can do and i know my colleague the nsa cio will likely say this much more eloquently than i but i see that as the the very high horsepower engine very massive amounts of data to do sense making and data correlation at, at a whole different scale and level here. And by the way, when I was at Open Source Enterprise, one of the projects I led was taking publicly available data, unclass open source, and leveraging GovCloud to start to correlate this together. So that was some of the magic of what we were starting to do there. A lot of this too, Jason, is the community, you know, we used to talk about when is a tipping point or when is a community finding this indispensable. I would argue we're there in many respects. There's still a lot more work we have to do, but as we move workloads to C2S, as we leverage GovCloud for hard analytical problems, th there's been a little sometime misinterpretation that we're a one cloud agency. We've never have been. We've been a bimodal cloud, and as I mentioned, as we move to software as a service models, we're bringing in other capabilities there as well. So let me talk mission side a bit. And of course, a lot of things are classified, but we're able to move with greater speed, with greater certainty of our outcomes, putting different types of data sets together to really get to that decision advantage that we need for our policymakers, our intel assessments, our, our operators and others. And it's real. And again, in a, in a classified setting, I could go into some examples, but there are some really eye-watering things we're doing on broadly on counterterrorism, on following state and non-state actors who mean to do this country harm and so on, to be able to stay ahead of this in a way that when I, for example, two decades ago was looking at satellite imagery, just an example, you know, would have to feed this into a very manual process. We're at a very different place now to have to, to stay ahead of the, the reams of data that come in from all the different intelligence collectors. So that's it's changing. It is changing. I saw it on the mug, and I see it nearly every day dealing with the agencies. I'm glad you brought up the mission side. I think one misconception people have about what's going on with EyeSight is that there is just this one cloud, and everyone just hooks into Amazon and yeah. all is good. So I guess the two two pieces are, you talk about bimodal, so you have the yeah. NSA, you have Amazon, yeah. and now you're adding Azure. Is there room for others if company X comes yep. to you and, hey, we can do this too? Yep. Is that something you guys are, yeah, we're open to it? And I know yeah. politically you're supposed to say yes, but, but realistically are people going to go, yeah, John just said yes because he's on your show, Jason? No, I mean, so my answer would be that's one of the things my office is looking at is our way ahead on our overall cloud strategy. We're going to be very transparent about this. And we are, so to the kind of soundbite here, We yes, we are going to be looking for new capabilities. But here's my, and this will be a later maybe discussion here, my charge to industry. It's got to be as open software, open approach. You know, we cannot get into vendor lock-in specifics on, on how the capabilities are not able to talk to one another. I'm not willing to spend a, a ton of money on middleware and so on to make the clouds work with one another. So that's my offer to industry is that we're going to be looking at options, uh, and we should be, and the taxpayers would expect us to, but I'm not going to do it in a way that goes against the entire principles of eyesight, that stovepipes or segregates our data and our ability to work. So that's a little bit of my charge to industry is make it easier for us there. Good advice. As you said, we'll probably get to that a little bit later as well. The other piece of this is this concept of having one cloud. Has that ever been a discussion within the IC when you were at CIA or when you were working on the mug? Did anyone go, no, let's just go with one cloud. It's easier. No, I think, again, being on the mission side, a lot of it was us learning how to leverage the capability to ask new types of questions. 
to understand one thing here, working multidisciplinary teams. It can't just be an analyst or a collector or a data scientist or a coder working individually. So my point was, I don't think we were that wrapped up about okay, what was the overall strategy? It was like having a new fighter jet or race car and knowing how to, you know, going from an F-4 to an F-22 fighter or something and knowing how to, you know, where the switches and knobs and how it can bank and thrust vector. Probably not the perfect metaphor, but, you know, I'm an aviation enthusiast. That's the way I see. And so that's what we were focused on. And there wasn't any kind of broader, well, we, you know, this isn't doing what it needs to do for us. It was learning how to turn and bank in this thing. And I think we're still in a learning mode, as we should be. I don't think we should ever be settled on how to leverage this as new capabilities come into the market. And this tags back to what you yeah. said just a few minutes ago about a new cloud strategy yeah. as well. Is that going to address this idea of the flexibility, the elasticity, but yeah. also the resiliency? Absolutely. And this is a thing, too. I, I, I'm aware there's been some chatter that, you know, we're somehow going to change the paradigm on all this. This is just due diligence. We should be doing at ICCIO is constantly evaluating where we are and how we're leveraging this capability. So everything you just talked about, elasticity, resiliency, our global hosting strategy, how we're looking on overseas needs and requirements, we ought to be looking at all that and rationalize every bit of it. That's part of my job as ICCIO is constantly evaluate not let things that may have made sense as even a year or two ago run on autopilot to step back and assess the state of where industry is and what our mission needs and also looking at other kind of non-material dynamics, legal, privacy, civil liberties, network issues, and all the rest that we have to be incorporating into this and, and, and doing our job. That's why there's an ICCIO to overwatch all this. Do you get a sense of how much is already in the cloud today from a mission side or a back office side? Are you able to give a percentage even? I wouldn't want to give a percentage here, but I'll tell you the, the amount. We have been on an exponential increase in terms of workloads moving in on the commercial side and use of IC GovCloud. And, Jason, I can tell you, part of this gets back to you can almost see it on the charts, the classified charts we take to the Hill and elsewhere with the, uh, the conversancy of how to use, for example, IC GovCloud and how you have to structure data at times to put it in there. Again, this is back to the our quote-unquote pilots getting comfortable in their fighter jets, so to speak, here. So we are seeing strong increases there. And also people, are, are, our officers across the IC, are seeing the utility of, wow, moving from legacy architectures into the cloud, what that can gain you in terms of efficiency and better cost pennies on the dollar in some cases. And also as we move to other future capabilities, making sure that you know we're not just content with where we are. You brought up a hot topic in the federal IT community called IT modernization. Yeah. We're gonna take a quick break and we come back, we can maybe jump into that as part of the going forward with iSight. My guest is John Sherman, the intelligence community's chief information officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is John Sherman, the intelligence community's chief information officer. John, before we break, we were talking a lot about cloud and eyesight. And you mentioned just toward the end there how the eyesight program, the cloud effort within it, is helping the intelligence community really move forward on, on IT modernization. And I can't talk to a CIO without, one, talking cloud, but two, really talking IT modernization. Maybe talk just a little bit about how all these efforts around ISAT are leading you down this path, the broad community that is. So it is with the broader community, as I mentioned, the ability to use all these new tools, technologies, 
capabilities to ask different sort of questions and, and get to even better answers. So we've talked about desktop. We talked about cloud. You know, another area is with LAN and WAN and CAN progress there. We're still pressing on that. The network piece is critical to make all this fit together. You know, also as we look at our campus area networks overseas is one big area that we're making a push on here for rationalization and trying to reduce redundancy there. So certainly, you know, we've talked a lot about cloud, but I don't want to make it sound like we're not focusing on the network piece either. If I can get to maybe a bigger point here on modernization. So my boss, uh, PDD and I, Sue Gordon, you'll hear her talk about uh, where we are with the second epic of eyesight, acknowledging the great work our predecessors, the foundation they put together for us. But now, as she'll say, we have to make it work. So where we're taking this modernization uh, off of what we talked about in the second epic, probably one of the most important pieces that are going to, that's going to be one of my issues to focus on in my tenure is going to be on the data piece. Working closely with our chief data officer, with the community of CDOs, and, and making it real. We talk about tag the person, tag the data. Data is an IC asset, which it has been, but we've got to make it absolutely so now. Uh, we've built, and what we've done with a lot of the quote-unquote bottom of the stack, we've talked about cloud, we've talked about the networks, those foundational pieces. As we move up the stack, and you'll hear people talk about data as the lifeblood of the IC, now we've got to make that piece work. So that is a major focus uh, of eyesight second epic here. In addition to what I talked about earlier in terms of not being unwilling to re-vector on things that aren't working, we're going to go all in on this data piece. And that would have been one thing in hindsight. Maybe we could have started a little bit earlier, but we also had to get the cloud, network, desktop pieces that we talked about in place as well. I remember some time in 2006 timeframe as data just started to grow and, and really data is the new technology, right? Data is, it's all about the data, I think was one of the headlines that, that I remember we, we wrote. Talk a little bit about what you hope to do with the data. Is it more analytics? Is it more tools? Is it is it a standard taxonomy? All of the above. It's all the above. And having uh, an IC chief data officer, Steve Prosser, along with a CDO council that works closely with us on the CIO side, to be able to really flesh out some of the, the tough things that have hindered us here in terms of not only within agencies having their data discoverable and usable, but now at the IC level with proper clearances and justifications to get to the data. So we really see this in three big buckets here. There's the data cataloging of the data sets, knowing what's out there. There is the accessing of the data sets and trying to get more to machine to machine access, which we actually need to do much better on. A lot of it is still built on bilateral MOUs between agencies, who you know, do you know where to ask about the data sets? And then finally, data utilization, whether it's 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 for the apps or for different analytical questions or or framing the right questions to put all this together and we and again i have to underscore we have made progress but nowhere near enough on this so our investments uh, really this year and and moving out across the fight we're going to be seeing a lot more on this the nuts and bolts things are going to have to happen on data cataloging uh, some of the machine-to-machine -machine capabilities and so on. So this is an area that we on the CIO side are really going to lean in to help our CDO brethren on. You mentioned that NSA's GovCloud is really the big data analytics platform. How does that fit into this broader discussion? I mean, are there capabilities and tools that obviously that you, that are not sensitive that you can talk about 
that you say, okay, well, this is where we need to move toward? Or do you feel like, you know, NSA does a great job. How do we ensure that the data can run through it in a way that gives us value? It, it, well, part of it is, and this gets to the, the the hard work the CDOs have to work on, that NSA has this absolutely down to a fine art in terms of taking, you know, it started with SIGINT and related data, but now bringing in other data sets. And part of the lesson learned we had is the structuring of the data. You can't just shovel data in there and expect magic to happen here. There is, We learned that on the open source side, working with our NSA colleagues. But with that, they've got this down here. Now, connecting with what is going on, say, with our commercial cloud, AWS, and so on here, making sure there's data interoperability there, discoverability. This is, again, graduate-level sort of work here to stitch together something at this level. Um, part of it, Jason, has just been the willingness of the agencies to uh, to acknowledge this and start the hard work with the CDOs to bring this together. And also with the proper policies in place on discoverability and compartmentation. So these are the hard things we're working on. Some of it is definitely architectural, technological. Part of it is non-material. It's policies, standards, uh, breaking through that, and indeed, culture. Um, this is a big thing, too, knowing that when we talk about data is an IC asset, you know, one of the things, I'll, I'll make an admission, when I was a young analyst, not wanting to get scooped or something like that, that you do all this hard work looking at satellite imagery and you don't want another agency to take that to the White House. We are well past those. And I got eyesight has helped this tremendously. We're still working past this. And it's not just the getting scooped or not wanting to share your sensitive information, but we can't defeat our terrorist threats. We can't defeat our cyber threats. We can't defeat state actors without leveraging all the data we have to bring to bear. Sounds like your job and my job are closer than many people realize. <laughs> yes, sir. Don't, don't want to get scooped. <laughs> Interesting uh, look at eyesight. Let's maybe broaden out a little yeah. bit. You probably have some other priorities that you're working yep. on. That's eyesight's huge, but there's other things that happen in the in the intelligence community that you want to focus on as well. The data piece is probably one of the biggest, and maybe in a minute we'll talk a little bit about cybersecurity. I changed the mission statement with an ICCIO. Maybe this is the Army officer in me to make it very clear to transform IT and protect IT. That protection pillar is critical too. And where we've, this has always been a focus in the IC here, but given the threats that we face, the totality of having to work it all the way from intrusions, intrusion detection, to being able to scan our enterprise, to supply chain, which we work very closely with Bill Evanina, the head of the National uh, Counterintelligence and Security Center at ODNI and others in the community, that's a major priority for us as well. And another one, Jason, that is, as we've worked, the data piece and, and the uh, a corollary to that is access management that we're working on. Uh, and ICAM is, is known, uh, and the credential and access management, looking at where we're going with the multifabric. Now, earlier in the discussion, I talked about our focus on top secret, uh, what we're doing on the secret fabric with secret C2S and some of the focus and what we've worked on the unclass side. We necessarily had to start with top secret when we launched this in 2013. But as we work with Department of Defense, DHS, other other colleagues, when we work with international partners with unclassified data, perhaps, the five eyes or so on there, we need to be able to work in all these different domains. It needs to be seamless. We need to be able to bring data up as needed and with all the security that has to go therein. So this is the area that I want to focus on to rationalize 
in, into the future. Take all the good pilot work that's been done on the other security fabrics and bring this together and also stay very arm in arm with the other departments who are doing this too. John, I want to go into the security a little more deeply, but first we're going to take yeah. a quick break. When we come back, that's what we'll do. My guest is John Sherman, the Intelligence Community's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is John Sherman, the Intelligence Community's Chief Information Officer. John, before break, you brought up cybersecurity. You brought up one of my favorite topics, uh, identity management, access control. Let's talk broadly. I know there's some sensitivities, but talk broadly. What are you doing around cybersecurity? And you brought up one of my other favorite topics, supply chains. Maybe start there. In terms of cybersecurity, we do have a chief information security officer at the IC level. And having a tight community of CISOs across the intelligence community has been critical from a governance and level setting perspective on that. Whereas, again, we've focused on this for years now, really knowing the full scope of our networks, what is on our baselines, empowering the CIOs at their level, working with the CISOs to really understand what's out there and upping our game on the IT hygiene piece. And another critical part has been the close partnership with our counterintelligence and security colleagues. I mentioned earlier my uh, friend and colleague, Bill Evanina, at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, working there because many of the cybersecurity concerns could be born out of a counterintelligence threat actor sort of action, whether insider threat or from an external entity, and having a close partnership there. Also, there's a train-is-your-fight dynamic in terms of exercising cybersecurity scenarios, at the IC level, we have the Security Coordination Center, which gets threat information and promulgates it to all 17 agencies and also leads exercises where we've had quite a bit of growth of agencies participating. It's very impressive, and we reported out to the National Security Council, so we've been very pleased with that. And then on your question about supply chain, what we're doing there is – and I think Mr. Evanina has made comments about this at a number of forums. This is an area that we have to work very closely with our CI colleagues on with the uh, growth of you know overseas production of components and devices. There's so many vectors for an adversary to get something into the system there that we really have to increase our game on this and not have any seams among organizations or functions uh, that an adversary could exploit. You brought up the cyber intelligence threat stuff. There's also the CTIC that yes. is in ODNI. and i Do you work closely with uh, the director, Tanya Ugaritz, uh, and do. others? Yes. Thank you for asking, Jason. I should have noted that. The Cyber Threat Intelligence Integration Center, or CTIC, their job is to have definitive IC assessments over what is happening in terms of a cyber threat. And then that gets passed to us at the uh, Security Coordination Center then to promulgate if there's something like a WannaCry virus or something, and then what should the IC be doing to protect our IC network. So that, that teaming with Tanya is, has been critical in this. And I want to go back to something you said with, about Bill Evanina and the supply chain issue. One of the things that Bill said recently at an event where he was speaking was, listen, if your procurement folks are not involved, you're going to fail. How do you work with the procurement side of the house in the IC community? That's a great question. Uh, very, very closely. At the ODNI level, the ATNF, or Acquisition Technology and Facilities Office, uh, currently under Kevin Miners, we are hand-in-glove with them, working that at the IC level, and then working through them to the acquisition leads in the different agencies across the IC has been critical. And indeed, we haven't talked a lot about this, but as we've had transformation activities within the ODNI under Director Coates and PDDNI Gordon, 
we are actually even more closely aligned to ATNF, CFO, uh, and other stakeholders there that we would need to, not only from the supply chain piece, but other aspects that would help us. I know we could talk longer yeah. about that, but I want to jump to yeah. a different topic. One of the things you brought up earlier was when we were talking about eyesight, the ensuring the stakeholders are around you and ensuring that as you're at the CIO council for the IC community, the CIOs are nodding, the SMEs are nodding. So maybe talk a little bit about the governance structure, how that has developed and how, how are you running this governance structure, uh, maybe similar or different than your predecessors? So I'm building upon that which was put in place before I came onto the job. But it is we ha- uh, very robust. We have CIO council meetings routinely. Um, and being able to – the culture shift, I can't talk about that enough, how we're able to have really open and tough discussions in there. I am blessed to have a group of CIOs, some of the smartest women and men, I think, around the government, to be able to come at problems in different ways, have the SMEs in there, and talk about really substantive things. So we meet – very periodically, it varies a little bit, but at least several times a month to talk through major topics, whether it's cloud or global hosting or cybersecurity way ahead or any number of issues with that. So that helps us a lot. And then have the other committee fora, like with the chief data officers I mentioned, the chief information security officers, we, we routinely work with them too to really tie all the pieces together on that. When you talk about the council, it's it's easy for it to be, okay, that's what they say. I'm going to go back to my agency and, and put my head back down and focus on that. Make the connection, if you can, between the governance piece, eyesight, and the accountability. How, how, you know, how do you ensure that this reference architecture for the right. desktop is going to be followed beyond, again, I know we talked about this a little bit, but you can take it broader to cloud. You can take it to any, any other initiative. So there is a piece of that, uh, very important. Uh, and we've done this on the security front for years with joint testing teams and ensuring the security uh, integrity of, of capabilities we're rolling out. But additionally, in part of this ICCIO new organization I talked about, to be able to have a verification effort so when solutions are being rolled out on the desktop effort, we're going to have to verify that they meet the standards of interoperability, security, and mobility. So we are going to have a team doing that. And again, this is part of that evolution of our commitment to eyesight to allow agencies some flexibility, but in a very managed, overwatched federation. And the other piece of this is the Defense Department. You guys uh, in the IC community include DIA, include the, the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. Yeah. What's your relationship with, I guess we'll start with the, the, the principal deputy, S.E. Miller, because Dana D.Z., the new CIO, has only been there for less than a month. Uh, I talk to S.E. probably once a week. I, I see her as a, a wonderful, very informed colleague. Uh, our bosses, mine, Sue Gordon, hers, the uh, now Mr. D.C.'s in place with the DepSecDef, we talk a lot, and one of the things we've tried to do is share our lessons learned with the department, not that we're the, we've perfected this by any stretch, but what we've learned on IT modernization, uh, what we've done with EyeSight, we've talked a lot with Essie and her team. Um, we certainly welcome Mr. D.C. to the team. I'm actually meeting with him this month. Uh, to talk to him. He comes with a wealth of knowledge from industry, and we're very excited to have him as part of the broader CIO family. But unfortunately, we're out of time. This has been a, just a fascinating conversation. I really do appreciate it. So let me thank my guest, John Sherman, the Intelligence Community's Chief Information Officer. John, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Jason. It's been a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 